Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Hello and welcome again to another edition of Lost in Science. This is a half hour on your radio where we talk about science. And my name is Stu and this week I'm going to be talking about politics and science. Oh, God. Well, the election. Yeah, but I've been listening to a lot of election coverage and one thing that has been quite absent from it, Stu, is talk about science. It hasn't really been there. So I I feel like I don't really know much about any of the party's science policies. So, Well, the Greens Greens launched their – they have an actual science policy and they launched it a couple of weeks ago. Um, The other – the Liberal National Coalition and the ALP don't seem to have a single science policy as such. Mm. So it's kind of hard. You have to sort of sift through a lot of their – policy statements to pick out the sciencey bits. Funny there was someone to do the sifting for us. Well, well, I have actually done that and picked out some of the... uh the juicier morsels he's, that I could he's find. Juicy morsels. He's, of the he's, he's sifted it. He's cut it up. He's centrifuged it. He's um, <laughs> <laughs> put it in dry ice and yeah, bubble over and yeah, you got some sort of and, DNA enzyme. Yeah, he's run, run electrical it. current through it. Yeah, yeah, all sorts of things. Separating it on a gel. So I'll, which yeah. one comes out at the top? You'll have to find out. Yeah, well, stay listening and you'll find out. <laughs> and also we have part two of Manisha's story about the oh, yeah. long-nosed... The lesser long-nosed bat, which is a bat in uh, the United States and Central America. Those bats fl- have amazing an amazing relationship with cactus. Yes, with various cacti, including the cacti. agave that makes tequila. Oh. Is that like agave? Is that a cactus or is it just a succulent? I think it's just an agave. Yeah, it's an agave. Oh, well, it's, it's an agave. It's a type of succulent? It's a kind of succulent, but it's not a, not a cactus. Well, this is why we have Manisha tell us these things as well. So, yeah, it's the plant from which tequila is made, for those who don't know. And so the bats are the important pollinators of uh, the the tequila plant, tequila yeah. tree, if you will, um, and <laughs> and you won't. Uh, and so the impact of any changes to their population could impact world tequila supplies. Oh, that's, that's a bit terrifying for mm. 19-year-olds around the world. <laughs> Fortunately, West Coast cooler is safe. <laughs> Chris, what decade are you living in, West Coast cooler? <laughs> Now, speaking of 19-year-olds and yep. their drinking habits, um, this has got nothing to do with that. But if you happen to be in Melbourne, uh, there is, and you're interested in space, there is a Final Frontier Festival at the uh, Melbourne, the University of Melbourne, which is hosted by the Melbourne Space Program. Now, if you didn't know, we had a space program in Melbourne. Hang on. Is that a real space program? It certainly is. Uh, like, well, it looks pretty like, official. Like the United States of America have a space program? It's not exactly the same, but um, there is a now trend to uh, miniaturization and microsatellites. Uh, and where you know, Australia is making these things and get taking part in sending stuff up because space science is very important in the modern age. We all have like you know satellites looking down on the Earth and mapping and this kind of stuff. So it is a very important part of technology. We need to have our own satellites and our own things up there. So, so when I can... talk to high school students and they ask me if they can ever be an astronaut, 
can they slightly different answer oh, that's <laughs> we don't actually right. have our own rockets no but the, yeah apparently the the government is spending more money on on space as well but you know other things. they have been australian astronauts yeah but they've had dual citizenship with the states yeah well they could always and go if, to europe anyway if you would like to check out the uh the final frontier festival it's running from Wednesday the 29th of June till Sunday the 3rd of July 2016 in Melbourne. So uh, look up their website. It's at www.finalfrontier.co. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. With the uh, federal election coming up on July the 2nd, I thought it might be a good time to see what the various political parties have put forward in relation to science in Australia. And it can be, tri- it can be pretty tricky to decipher exactly where their science policies lie because they often spread them out through a number of portfolios including education and health and environment and well a bunch of other things basically so you know i guess that just shows that science is an important part of life in general and that Mm. you know falls under um many of the uh, government's responsibilities um what i did decide to do was ignore health policy so medical funding i don't think is counting as when you say medical funding, you mean medical treatment or medical I research? I mean medical research funding. Really? Because, well, I just think it's, it's, an, it's an essential service. It's something the government has to do. And the variation in policies between the parties of medical mm. research funding. Uh, that's are interesting, not yeah. It is, it is kind of funded separately to normal science funding. Yeah. It, it is obviously a huge part of the science sector in Australia is medical research. Like that's right. Medical research is something that Australia has done a lot of. But I also think, stuff uh, I also think that. Politically, it's used as a bit of a, oh, look, we've spent this much on science and, in fact, they've spent lots of money on medical research Mm. and not much on other things. And it makes it difficult to kind of figure out the differences between parties when they're just comparing figures of spending. Anyway, I I did tend away from the medical side of things and more towards the other other end of the STEM Mm spectrum, which is the science, technology, engineering, and maths side of things, and just trying to figure out what exactly they're doing. So the Greens have had a policy for a while, and they certainly took it to the last election, of increasing the proportion of the GDP that we spend on research, on science research specifically. So they want uh, total spending to be at 3% of GDP by 2025, and they've also up the ante by saying they want it to get to 4% by 2030. So mm. they want a 1% increase in five years. Um, this is in sort That's of 10 years' time. Huge amounts. It money. is a huge amount, considering yeah. it's it's currently about 2%. So they want to double our spending on uh, scientific research by 2030. Do you have any of those figures there? 2030. What, what, how much money that looks like? It'd be in like the... Because it var- it's a percentage of GDP, it's going to vary depending how much money we make. But it would be in the billions. So when you say that amount of GDP, is that all public spending or is that like across public No, GDP is a measure of the amount of money that Australia has at any given point. Yeah, so the the 3% or the 4%, is that like saying is that all government spending or is that like... They they are saying across the board. So they're encouraging businesses and industry to spend money as well, not just themselves because otherwise that would be 
well in excess of the government's entire budget probably. Um, so they've also announced that they're going to um, fund some of their science policies by cutting fossil fuel subsidies to various industries, which gives them $12 billion which they can play with and spend on uh, sciencey things. Basically, they're planning to spend it on looking for alternative energy sources, which is going to cost money and research. You'd imagine, so yeah, it's worth. Yeah, yeah. and and you know they're they're cutting the fossil fuel subsidies so mm. they can use the money to spend mm. on looking for alternatives to fossil fuels, so uh, renewable energy Makes to sense. get away from the uh, emissions heavy uh, generation that we use currently. Um, they're also planning to restore funding to the CSIRO and to CRCs, which has been cut by. Mm-hmm. The current government CRCs cooperative research centres, right. so they're you know effectively um, targeted centres for specific kinds of research. Um, they are rejecting the Labor and Liberal cuts to the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, and this is all sort of in keeping with their um, basic platform of environmental mm-hmm. awareness and um, and putting that sort of high up the list. Uh, they're giving more money to the Australian Research Council. They are giving money to the National Health and Medical Research Council mm-hmm. um, and to the cooperative research centres associated with that. Um, they're looking towards uh, taking steps to giving out five-year grants for the ARC, which is I, longer uh, than the current good, grants, yeah. usually about three years. Um, and basically they're increasing money across the board, so they're trying to invest money in uh, Innovation and Science Australia. They are also in favour of open access publishing of government-funded research. So any mm. any research the government funds directly, they're making that available to anyone who wants it, which is... There's a bit of, of push for that around the world, yeah. And it makes sense when you consider that if we, pay, it, yeah. if we pay for the research, it's we should be able research. to... Yeah, yeah. 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 we have to pay for it again to read it. And yeah, yeah and the, the, it belongs to the people, but it also yeah. means that other people can, you know, work off the back of Australian yeah. research, and it makes it easier for people yeah. to um, mm. to make leaps forward. I guess um, they're also supporting women in science, and they are trying to encourage, um, you know, early education in uh, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics in schools and in universities as well. Um, now, they they do seem to be more willing to spend government money on research than than the ALP or the Liberal National mm-hmm. Coalition. Um, ALP policy seems to be more focused on getting businesses to invest in research and making it easier for research and development to be translated into profitable commercial products. Um, from, from what I've heard, Australia is particularly bad at um, commercialising research, that um, we are one of the lowest spending, like business spends lowest on research in, in Australia than does in other, you know, other OECD countries effectively. So the ALP is also um, putting money into a what they call a smart investment fund, which will allow businesses to invest in research and development. Um, they, they also are looking at the tech industry as in the... Um, computer and information technology industry and trying to have a startup year at the end of uh, computer and uh, information technology degrees where Uh you will learn how to sort of market your potential startups and 
make business contacts and all this sort of thing. So that sort it, of makes sense, especially from like an entrepreneurial point yeah. of view. Like. Yeah, entrepreneurship is a huge buzzword all throughout these policy wow. documents. Except right, yeah. the Greens didn't seem to focus so much on that, but the ALP and the uh, Liberal Nationals certainly so use entrepreneurship a Every lot. Every graduate to be a millionaire when they get bought by. Google or Apple or something like that. Um, yeah, and they're you know getting startups to help solve government problems through challenge platforms and support startups to compete in government tenders. So they're trying to you know sort of streamline so new graduates can get into uh, you know start their own businesses. Basically, um, there there's some other interesting things they are doing. They they are supporting a hundred thousand young people, especially women. So this is obviously some sort of competitive process to study um, STEM subjects at university by writing off their uh, help debts at the completion of their degrees. STEM pro, like STEM university programs. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I heard about that. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it's an interesting, um, Mm. an interesting way to get people in there. I just hope they don't all do engineering because there's actually, you know, quite a few jobs for engineers out there in the, in the world. So, you know, to try and get people into industries where maybe the jobs are not so lucrative or, um, Available might be a way to uh, make that work well, really that, well. That's, that's the hub that you've got to have the jobs available for people to go into. Just, well, this is yeah. this is Just the issue with focus on education it, end. Yeah. If they're looking at the education yeah. side, we'll have a whole lot of people who are really well educated in STEM yeah. fields. But if there's no jobs for them, then yeah. this is and this is, I guess, where they're also trying to promote the entrepreneurship is yeah. to try and get people who have these skills start to then start business, businesses. Yeah. They are also. Um, they're, they're uh, also boosting the skills of primary and high school teachers to teach STEM. So they've got you know a program in mind to uh, to get twenty five thousand people to learn more about STEM, so they can teach them in primary and high schools. Uh, and there's teaching scholarships for twenty five thousand uh, graduates in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Uh, they also want um, every primary and secondary child to learn computer coding. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right, yeah. Which is, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm of two minds about this. I think the idea is good, but whether the, the coding that you'll learn in primary school will be of any use by the time you finish a university degree is... But is it about ha- questionable. It, it being of use or just about familiarising students with that so they don't feel like, like it's really overwhelming? I guess there's a level of that. I mean, I in high school I learnt... Uh, basic because that's what we were taught, to, you yeah. know. But I and mean, you would feel comfortable going in and learning something. I else could, I could, I could potentially learn to code yeah. if I was so inclined. Yeah. But you could look at it as equivalent of teaching them, you know, like woodwork or that kind of thing. Yeah. Or, you if know, you're never going to use it professionally, I guess. Yeah, it's you know, there's, it's it's an interesting uh, proposal anyway, and I guess making kids more co- comfortable with technology, ha- how yeah. computers mm. work, not just. You know what you what you use them for on the surface, the interface side of things. Um, so yeah, they're going to actually spend nine million dollars on a national coding in schools centre to develop that um, kind of program. Uh, now, the Liberal National Coalition they're also focused on making it easier for business to fund research by connecting researchers and industry, and they've got a number of programs which are science related also, but in a conservation sense. So they've got a threatened species program which seems to consist of killing two million feral cats, seems to be the main 
focus of that. Is that science? Um, well, I guess conservation science. Mm. Um, you know, you've got to know what species are threatened to begin with, yeah. uh, which which does take research, as Manisha will point out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. science. Um, <laughs> they're also, you know, they're also trying to improve habitat and um, intervene in emergencies to avert extinction. So knowing, I guess, the priorities mm. of what's going to go extinct and how do you improve habitat without knowing what good and bad habitat are. Mm. So there's research to back that up and they're going to spend money on it. So I guess that that's why I included that as a science. Okay. Okay. Because um, they put out a whole kind of science innovation thing that I had a bit of a read of and I couldn't make any, couldn't find any real policies. There's, there's not a lot of policy in there. And I had to go through a number of different policy areas to find where they were actually going to spend yeah. some money and what their, um, what their focus was going to be. So they, like the, uh, the ALP, they're going to spend um, $13 million to encourage more women to embark on STEM-related careers. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to increase the number of startup incubators and accelerators in Australia. But what does that actually mean? How do you do that? I don't know. It's And there's no figure attached to that. This is just an idea that they want to promote. So um, <laughs> it's it's kind of difficult to uh, to, to compare when there's just... Just buzzwords, Stu. Th- mm, there's a lot of buzzwords mm, mm, in there. Um, agile and responsive, Ooh. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Disruptive. They... They also they also want to have national coding competitions for students from years four to twelve. Um, one of the interesting things that neither the ALP nor the Liberal Nationals actually put out was a clear plan about what was going on with the NBN, which is kind of weird when they're focusing on this coding side of things, which is all to do with mm. internet, um, information technology. Um, but you know the ALP policy seemed to be saying. The Liberal Nationals messed it up and it's terrible and the Liberals played it down and didn't really talk about it very much. So we're, we're going to have all these highly trained um, children who are capable of coding but no network on which they can uh, practice their skills. Um, but look, when it comes down to it, it looks like um, the Greens generally have a really quite a good science policy yeah. and a good policy platform um, and they also have the least chance of actually forming a government. Well, there is, I should I just point out, there is also the Science Party. The Science Party? Yeah, which uh, has candidates in a, in a few um, uh, electorates. So if you really care about science, you know, they, they obviously going to have like a pretty big focus on, um, on science. But yeah, I mean, it's basically, basically uh, the, the two big parties have decided to try and encourage scientists to both learn science and business so they can go into science businesses which will make us improve, improve our uh, our bottom line but um yeah when it comes when it comes down to it it's worth reading the uh the policy statements of the various parties if you're actually interested if you can sift through the um the mounds of buzzwords on the uh on the policy websites too Stu, i'm just glad that you've done it for me <laughs> thanks no worries Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. Last week, I spoke about the lesser long-nosed bat, um, a species of bat that's found in Central and North America, and it's listed as vulnerable under the IUCN. 
So what's the IUCN? So basically, um, the IUCN will use the data that's available on um, species around the world and give them a, a listing. So whether they're um, common or if they're endangered or invulnerable, and it basically just says how threatened that species is to extinction. Okay. So this bat, the lesser long-nosed bat, is a nectivore and a frugivore, which means that it eats... Um, or it feeds on nectar and the fruits of plants. And is that a fru- frugivore? Frugivore with a G. Fru- with a G. Yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah. It means that it's very careful in like in using its resources, spending its frugivore. Money. It's a frugivore. <laughs> <laughs> it can actually consume one and a half times its body weight in nectar, which is massive. Because and it, and it does that every night. Yeah, or mostly every night. Yeah, when it's lucky. When it's yeah, like, when there's when there's a, a food source, yeah, they'll eat a lot. What a guts! Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, last week I talked about their amazing um, migration across the Sonoran Desert um, into the southern parts of the United States. These bats actually they range in Central America. So starting well, their southern tip is down near Mexico and Guatemala, and then they extend up north towards uh, the southern states, so uh, Arizona and New Mexico. Um, in the summers, the females migrate the thousands of kilometers across the Sonorans to their maternity roosts to give birth to their pups, and this grand migration is only possible due to the cacti in the desert that flower on one night and one night only, and provide nectar to the fruiting bats. And then on their return journey, um, journey, the plants then produce fruit for the mums and the pups. So convenient. I know. Good plants, right? Yeah. Yeah. The So this sort of timing thing, um, or like this dependency and this co-relationship between um, the bats and the plants actually put me on a bit of a search tangent, and it made me find... Another relationship with this with this species and the agave plant. Mm. Does everybody know of the agave plant? Is agave a type of agave or yeah, aga- yeah. agave? Yeah. yeah, it's used in tequila, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the blue agave. Or is it is it a type of tequila or is it a different type no, of liquor altogether? No. So um, agave, the the specific blue agave plant is the one. That is used to make tequila, but there's a whole suite of different agaves. Okay. Mm. Is it a, is it a cactus? It's like a succulent. Okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So it's not. Can you eat it? On, I guess it can could eat be, it on its own. I don't know. Mm. I know. I know people make cactus chips, so maybe you can make some sort of chip out of agave. Mm. Delicious. Yeah. So um, bats and the agaves have actually. Um, so they have a really important pollinating connection or uh, relationship relationship yeah the bats are basically the only thing that pollinates the agave and pollination is really important for the yeah. for the plants they have actually co-evolved and shaped shaped each other in this whole pollination behavior so the agaves actually grow stalks that are 15 feet high and then they have this sort of um candelabra 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 they actually have this sort of candelabra-shaped flower cluster at the top, and the long-nosed bat has a long nose and candle-shaped like candle-shaped <laughs> nose. Yeah, maybe, and it sticks into it. It would work, wouldn't it? <laughs> the flowers they only open at night, and they smell like rotting fruit, which means dinner oh, time. Right for a bat. Yeah, it means dinner time. It means I got to get out there. I got to get all my 
nectar in. So it just triggers the bats to come out and have a feed. And in the process, they are pollinating the plants. So it's like a bat signal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except without the light mm. and stuff. Yeah, basically. Um, unlike the cactus that I talked about last week, the agave doesn't just bloom once a year, uh, but it does only bloom at night. Um, the codependence relationship between the bats and the agave as food for the bats and pollination or pollinated for the plant is so strong that the loss or decline of one will threaten the survival of the other. Um, so we were talking earlier about tequila, because why not? And that's the blue agave that's responsible for tequila. So tequila is actually one of Mexico's greatest exports. And as such, uh, there's a really regimented um, industry behind the uh, production of the blue agave. So instead of allowing for the natural production of the agave with, with the natural pollination, what the tequila makers do is get a clone from the base of the mother um, agave plant and just like cultivate it. So this completely excludes the entire pollination side of it. So it's effectively um, taking away a really important food source for the bats. Um, the After... Like So now researchers are actually finding that after years and generations of um, producing the agave plant this way, it's making the agave really weak, and they actually need pesticides and herbicides to, um, to grow. So, so the natural defense of the agave has been completely reduced, and they're really susceptible to disease. And now this is a major problem because nearly 40% of the um, blue agave plant's population is either dying or diseased. And if this is one of your major exports in your in your um, country, you can imagine it would be a bad thing. But then also on the environmental side of things, um, we're losing a plant due to an over-cultivation and over-consumption, and the bats are going to suffer. So I did mention before that the bats are uh, listed as vulnerable under the IUCN. And now we know that the uh, blue agave is at risk due to the cultivation regime it's under. But other um, agaves are also at risk because the bat populations are declining and the um so the agaves don't have um a pollinator or may are at risk of losing their pollinator so the this sort of codependency shows the intricacies of the ecosystem these plants are dependent on the bats to pollinate them and the bats are dependent on the plant for food but in addition to that you have a variety of other animals that use the plant for food or shelter bees um, birds, moths, lizards, mice, etc. Um, in this ecosystem, the bats would be a keystone species, a species that has a disproportionately large effect on its environment relative to its abundance. The loss of the bats from this environment would result in a cascade and an ecosystem crash. And it's important to see these wider networks and understand um, how everything is related when we're considering conservation efforts because when you acknowledge the individual species' importance or their importance to the environment, that could mean that their loss would actually be much more ca- catastrophic than if we just think of them individually and as an isolated, as an isolated species. So yeah, so um, considering the larger ecosystem, this is just one example of many you could pull out from our natural world, but considering the larger ecosystem when we're thinking about conservation and the importance of conserving our plants and animals is uh, really important to manage and conserve. (laughs) 
that's all we've got time for on this episode of Lost in Science. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you want to talk to us, talk back to us, uh, you can get in touch. We have a Gmail account, lostinsight at Gmail. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter and on the Facebook Uh, And if that's not enough lost in science for you, you can always tune in again next week where the team will once again get lost Lost in science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.